Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Let me kick this off this morning. Let me just give you some numbers, and I want you to think about these numbers. First of all, 41%. 41% of Americans today believe, feel that the church is, is uh, untrustworthy. Now, we got to own that because they're not talking about the building. They're talking about us. When they say the church, they mean the people. They don't think we're trustworthy. In other words, y'all talk like this and y'all say this, and then I see you behave like this. I find that very interesting. 20%, only 20% of millennials today believe that going to church is worth it, that it's relevant, that it's important. Only 21. So millennials, millennials in general, 80% feel like, hmm, maybe, maybe I'll get them to go to church. Maybe I just won't. Maybe we need to own a little bit of that. 40% of millennials uh, uh, categorize themselves as religiously unaffiliated. And I don't mean affiliated as in like, I'm not sure, I'm Baptist, I'm Lutheran, I'm Methodist. No, no, no. They're saying religiously unaffiliated as in, I don't know if I'm Christian. I don't know if I'm Hindu. I don't know if I'm Buddhist. I don't know if I'm just into the new age gods. And not only that, but millennials today are twice as, as likely to categorize themselves as atheist as compared to the rest of the population. Now, those numbers ought to make us just stop and ask some real hard questions. We ought to think about that. We got to own some of that and we got to ask some real hard questions. The first question that I would ask right away is this, what's ailing the church? What is wrong with the church? It's okay to ask that. I think one of the things is we, we as a church, we got to start owning. I don't mean Cedar Valley per se, but certainly these things are true at Cedar Valley as well. But I think the church as a whole has got to start owning some of these. And we're going to talk about today what I believe is the number one issue that is ailing the church today. I'm saying if we pay attention, I'm saying if we get this right, I think it changes a lot of this stuff steady over time. So I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles, if you would. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, just a reminder, we've been in a study on the book of Ecclesiastes. We believe most likely that Solomon wrote it. Now, just so you know this, there are some other opinions out there and there's some valid reasons to believe that. We think that Solomon wrote it. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. Do you remember this? We looked at this in week one, that God came to Solomon. We saw this in first Kings and he said this, what would you like? God, think about this. God came to him and he goes, what would you like to have? Ask anything and I'll grant it to you. And Solomon said, give me wisdom and discernment so that I can govern your, govern your people. And God was so pleased that he gave that answer. He said, because you didn't ask for wealth, because you didn't ask for long life, because you didn't ask for the death of your enemies, I'm going to give you wealth. And I'm going to give you, uh, I'm, gonna give you I'm sorry, I'm going to give you wisdom. And I'm going to give you all the wealth. And I'm going to give you long life. And I'm going to give you victory over your enemies. Right? And so we think he was the wisest man that ever lived. He was the richest man, most likely, that ever lived. When you extrapolate out dollar for dollar in today's dollars, he had all the power. He was the king of the most powerful nation on the, uh, in the world at that time. He had it all. And then somewhere, he just totally got off track. Like Solomon just had everything and just was like, psh, just went off. And then at the end of his life, came back. Now, interesting perspective, isn't it? At the end of his life, a dude who had everything, got all that, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, the whole thing. Now, that dude turns around and says, oh, hey, big mistake. I'm just warning you. We've called this a retrospective warning. I'm warning you all, don't do what I did. Right? Really smart people learn from other people's mistakes. He's saying, don't do what I did. 
I'm going to try to give you some, some warning of this. So we're going to see, he's going to address what I believe is the number one issue that's ailing the church today. I think if we get this right, I think we advance the church a long way. Let me just also give a plug for next week. Next week, we're going to talk about what's the trap. What is the most common trap that all people fall into today? I don't care whether you're a churchgoer. I don't care if you're not a churchgoer. It's the absolute number one trap that everybody falls into. And I think you ought to bring someone with you next Sunday. I think you ought to be thinking about who am I going to invite? It, it is a trap for everybody Everyone is sub, uh, suspect to it, and I think you ought to be here next week, and I think you ought to bring someone with you, okay? Uh, Ecclesiastes 5, when you have it, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We'll read this out loud together. Uh, I'll read it. And a reminder, if you're new and you go, do they stand up down the whole, like, are they going to do this all day? No, no, no. Uh, we stand when we read our primary reading because it's a reminder to us that this isn't a book written by some fellows. This was God, this is God speaking to us in this room right now. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1. As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. It's evil to make mindless offerings to God. Don't make rash promises and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God's in heaven and you're here on earth. So let your words be few. Verse 3. Too much activity gives you restless dreams. Too many words make you a fool. Verse 4. When you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through. God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to him. It's better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you sin and don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger that the promises you made, that the promise you made was a mistake. That would make God angry and he might wipe out everything you've achieved. Verse 7, talk is cheap like daydreams and other useless activities. Fear God instead. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your holy word this morning. And uh, we believe that you've spoken to us during our singing. And now, Father, we're, we're uh, just anticipating what you might say to us this morning from your word. So, Holy Spirit, we say have your way. You teach. You give words this morning. You pierce hearts this morning. You draw us to the Savior. All for your glory, God. That's our prayer. All for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. You guys can grab a seat. So interesting, and I'm just going to remind you, I, I, with all my heart, I believe this is the number one thing. I think we ought to wake up. Now, Solomon is writing here in this whole uh, area about worship. Solomon is writing about worship, and I think he's going to challenge our thoughts. Because typically if I say, let's worship, I don't even have to tell you what to do. Everybody stands up and we get ready to sing. And I'm saying, I think he's going to stretch our, our thoughts this morning on what is worship. Look in your passage. Look at verse 1. He says this, as you enter the house of God. House of God really referred to the temple, the place where people worshipped. In other words, they went into the temple, and that's where they would read the Torah, the staple of the Jews' Old Testament, right? It, it, it was They would read the Torah, and then they would give praise, and they would give worship in various forms. they bring offerings, but that's what happened in the temple. Now, the temple was originally, uh, David had a real passion. He, he wanted to build the temple, and God said to David, no, 
your hands have shed human blood, you will not build the temple. And so instead, the temple was built by his son, King Solomon. About 957 BC, Solomon builds the temple. Now, uh, just so you know this, the temple was uh, destroyed about 400 years later. The, the Babylonians came in and they took captive a lot of the Jews and they took them out of the land. And then uh, in, the temple was built in the second temple era. It was built in the years of Ezra and Nehemiah. You can read about that in the Old Testament, Ezra and Nehemiah. And then the temple stood again, and the temple stood till about 70 A.D., about 35 years after the death of Christ. And the Romans just ransacked the place and totally destroyed the temple. At that point, uh, subsequent to the destruction of the temple, the second temple, then what would happen is this. If you had 10 Jewish men in the community, you could then have a synagogue. Right, so we went to the temple. They didn't rebuild it the third time. Ten Jewish men in an area that you could build a synagogue. The synagogue was a place where you'd go and they'd read the Torah in a form of worship, and then they would they would give praise and worship to God in various forms. Today, the parallel would be the church. So the church would be that same place today. Cedar Valley would be considered a house of worship. Cedar Valley is not the temple. So some people come to me sometimes and they say, well, in the temple, it said, and I'm like, we ain't the temple. But we are certainly the house of God. We are certainly a place of worship. The temple, the original temple, FYI, huge deal, big deal. Now, King David had a strong alliance with King Hiram, and King Hiram was uh, over the area where Lebanon is, okay? And so they had a strong alliance. David dies. His son Solomon becomes the king, and so Hiram wants to keep that uh, alliance, good politics, and so he sends ambassadors to meet with Solomon. He keeps that relationship going. Now Solomon wants to build a temple, and he says to King Hiram, he sends a messenger to King Hiram, and he says, hey, here's the deal. I want to use cedar in the temple. Best cedar comes from? Lebanon, the cedars of Lebanon. And so King Hiram says, no problem, send them. And so here's Solomon. And it says, Solomon conscripted a labor force of 30,000 men from all of Israel. 30,000 men he's conscripting. And here's what they're going to do. It says, he sent them to Lebanon and they go in shifts. So 10,000 every month. So that way each man would be there one month in Lebanon and then two months at home. 30,000 men, you go for a month, you're home for two months. Now you go back again. They're just, all they're doing is stripping out trees and they're just getting cedar. Beyond that, Solomon also had 70,000 common laborers. He had 80,000 quarry workers in the hill country and 3,600 foremen to supervise the work. Now, do the simple math on this. He had 30,000 guys who were going to go and get cedar, right? Then he has another 70 who are common laborers. Now you're at 100,000. Add to that 80,000 who are quarry, quarry workers, right? Now you're at 180,000 and you've got 3,600 foremen. You've got 183,600 men working on this over a period of seven years. The temple, folks, is a big deal, big deal. And sometimes we feel that way about the church. Oh, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Okay, it is. This is the house of God. But God isn't constricted. He's not restricted here because we know this from the book of Acts. It says, God, he's the God who made the world and everything in it. And since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. Further, I would say this, Jesus speaking in Matthew's gospel, he says, hey, we're two or three gathered together as my followers. I'm there among them. So Jesus isn't confined, restricted, the Holy Spirit, God, they're not confined, restricted here, but this is clearly a house of worship. And so Solomon is going to talk about worship. And if you remember this, he said this, as you enter the house of God. Now, our translation, we use the NLT, 
Whenever I prepare a message, I always try to read and study in about five different translations. Not that one is right or wrong, but different translations tend to say things different way. I really like uh, our NLT, but sometimes a different translation would say something that just puts a little better perspective on it. So if you read this in NIV, for instance, instead of saying, as you enter, it says this, guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Guard your steps. Now, I'm going to show you this. This is really cool. Raise your hand if you've ever been to Israel. Yeah, uh, we were there in 2019. I'm telling you, and I hate to fly. I hate it. I hate long flights. It's not like a fear of flying or anything. It's just I'm concerned that if you fall from 3,600 feet, you could land on your head. 36,000, so it's more of that. Uh, but, but if you ever get a chance to go, I would just say this, go. If you get a chance to go to Israel, go. When we were there, we were at the temple. There are the temple ruins there. It's massive. The thing was so cool. But we saw something that was very interesting. You're going to like this. Now, I'm going to show you this picture. These are the steps to the south entrance at the southern gate. Now, you may not be able to make this out, and I tried to find a picture with good contrast, so I'll just make stuff up, and you believe whatever I tell you. But I'll I'll explain to you how this goes. The steps going up to the southern gate are, are made like this. This is so cool. Look at this. I don't know if you can tell. This step is 35 inches. Okay. This step is 12. This step is 35 and this one is 12, and it's like that all the way up. Here's a 12, here's a 35. So watch this. Remember, our, our scripture said this, guard your steps. Okay, you with me? Watch. 35, wait, wait, 12. Okay, 35, okay, 12. So when you go to the house of worship, you got to slow down. you got to think about it. They, it was so intentional the way that the Jews built this. Everything was intentional. you got to slow down. And so the first thing that we're going to see about worship, I've called these the ABCs, is that worship is a reverential attitude. That, it's a re- that worship is an attitude. We just go, let's worship, and we're all going to sing. But just wait. Back up. See, you got to slow down. See, where's my heart? Where's my mind? When I'm getting ready to worship, like, like, Where's my heart? We, we, we've made worship about so much more than it actually is. We think worship is like, oh, that, that's the wrong kind of worship music. That's not worship music. God doesn't care about all that stuff. It's not a form of music. It's not, oh, they, they dressed like that. They wore that. No, no, no. Worship is, is a reverential attitude. This is what God's looking at. When we enter to worship, God is looking at our hearts. Look, we know this from the scripture, right? This is, remember when King Saul was the king, he was the first king, and then he was disobedient, and God said, man, I'm, you're, you're out, and I'm going to find somebody who's after my own Heart. And so Samuel was the prophet of that day, and so he's going to go to Jesse's house because God's told him that, and Jesse's got a bunch of boys, and he walks in, and he sees all these boys, and the oldest boy is Eliab, big, strapping, good-looking dude, and Samuel the prophet, the prophet, the man of God, he looks at Eliab, and he goes, snap, that's got to, it's right in the Bible, snap, that's got to be him. It says that. That's the Greek, right, the, the Hebrew. And what does God say to him? No, God says, the Lord doesn't see things the way we see them. God doesn't see things the way we see them. See, we look at outward appearance. God looks at the heart. When we come to worship, it's our hearts. 
It's our hearts that God is after. God gets all music. He doesn't care what form of the music. I'm old enough. We had a big monster organ and we all picked up hymnals and we sang always because this is how Christians do it. You sing the first, the second, and the fourth. Yeah, the fourth. That's always the way you did it in the church. We're going to skip the third and we're going to go to the fourth. That's how God's people do it. God doesn't care. It's not that he doesn't care at all. God's got bigger fish to fry, everybody. God wants to know that our hearts are right. And when you come to church, where is your heart? I'm going to show you something else that's really interesting about the temple. Because worship is not about man. Listen to me. Worship is not about man. Watch this in 1 Kings. When they were building the temple, it says this. The stones that are used in the construction of the temple were finished at the quarry. Now, just wait a minute. The temple is being built way over here. And the quarry is way over here. Now, why didn't you just carve out big chunks of stone and bring those to where we're putting the temple together and we carve them out right there to fit? And I thought, why is that? Why would they do it that way? Here's why. So there was no sound of hammer or axe or any other iron tool at the building site. Do you get this? At the temple where worship actually took place, God says, you ain't going to hear the sound of axes. That's man's work. See, you ain't going to hear the sound of chisels. That's man's work. At the temple, it's not about man. It's not about the work of man. It's about me. It's about God. And God says, here's what I want most, more than anything. I want your hearts. I want your hearts. You think it's you standing up and singing? Sometimes you know how we just sing and we have a terrible attitude? God says, that's not worship to me. What I really want is your heart. Now, I'm going to tell you one other thing about attitude. Last week, it was last week. You remember last week when I said, hey, when you guys show up next week, make sure you wear your... No, last week I was very clear. I said, this week when you show up, make sure you wear your... Do you folks listen? All right, let's all say this together. This is what I said. Next week when you show up, make sure you wear your steel toe boots. You remember I said that? Because here's why. Because today everybody gets their toes stepped on. Like if you're new here, man, we are equal opportunity toe crushers. I got my steel toe boots on because it's hard for me. I want to just suggest something and have us think about this when it comes to our worship. You remember this? Guard your steps. Okay, now remember, just take this in context. 12 steps, 35. You had to slow down. You had to slow down. I don't think you could just fly in last second and scream into the temple. Now listen to me, because I'm talking to me as well. Can you really have a reverential, a reverential attitude when every week you fly in four minutes late? And you scream in there and you just, yes, Jesus, yes. You're like, I, I, would, I would suggest this. I think if we're going to have a reverential attitude, I, I would consider maybe getting there just a minute or two early. Letting your heart settle. Getting your heart right with God. I'm going to back up one step further. So remember, you got your boots on so I can say anything I want now. So... <laughs> I would say maybe your worship should actually begin Saturday night. 
I, I think you ought to be preparing, be preparing your hearts on Saturday night. I think if you really thought about it like this, I'm about to go in and worship the God of creation. I have the privilege of being in a room with other believers and we're going to offer praise and worship to the God of creation. That's so significant. I, I would think maybe you'd get yourself ready for that. Maybe you'd get to bed at a decent hour on Saturday night. Maybe you'd have a moment of prayer before you go to bed on Saturday night. You'd get yourself ready. I think, I think we ought to consider that. We're worshiping the almighty God of creation. Should we maybe be prepared for that? I'm just saying, you think about that. You let the Lord speak to you. But here's what I know. Worship is, is a reverential attitude, and we got to be right for that. Here's the second thing about worship. Worship is daily behavior. It is our behavior. Now, now look, at the, look at our text again, because in our NLT it says, as you enter the house of God, keep your ears open. That's the way our scriptures say it. Keep your ears open. And that's, that's, that's an appropriate uh, uh, translation. Keep your ears open and your mouth shut. But again, I want to take this to the NIV because I like the way they say it. The NIV says this. First, we said guard your steps. Remember that? When you go to the house of God, go near to listen now, just so you know this, in the Hebrew language, it very much had the, uh, the, the differentiation between hearing and listening. And listen specifically in the Hebrew language has the connotation of heeding, of obedience. That's the real idea. In the Hebrew language, when they say listen, it means to heed or to obey. Our worship is our behavior. Like, we think we come inside this place to worship, and I'm saying we do, and I agree with everybody, and I think that's fantastic. I love our worship in here. We read the word, we sing, we, we speak out praises. But listen, our worship continues. Yes? Like, when we get out of this place, hey, we came to church to worship, and now we're leaving to go worship. Like, I think that's really, really important that we have that perspective, that it is our daily behavior, daily behavior. Listen, he goes on to say in the next verse, don't make rash promises and don't be hasty in bringing matters to God. Right, because a, a rash promise is something where you say this, but you actually do this. Exactly right, Pat. You do something else. You don't do it. You don't follow it up. You're talking and behaving in totally different ways. That's not appropriate behavior. Look, if, 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 I, if I go home and I scream at my wife and I yell obscenities at her, and right, I do that, and then I come into God here and I'm like, like when we were talking bad as little kids, if we said a swear word or something, my mom would say, is that the same mouth you eat with? You know? And I just wonder, man, is that the same mouth that we use to praise God? If I'm driving on 35 and somebody cuts me off and I flip them off, and then I walk in here on a Sunday morning and I raise that same hand to God in worship. What just happened here? Right? I like this, that James in the New Testament, now in the New Testament it's Greek and it means a little, the words mean something a little bit different. He says, don't merely listen. Now in the Greek, listen means more like hear. Okay? So he says, don't merely hear or listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. What? Do it. Do what it says. See, Worship is daily behavior. We should see that as worship. Listen, when y'all go to school, that's worship. When you folks go to school, by the way, I love y'all sitting over there. That's great. That encourages me. But when you go to school, that's worship. How do you behave in your, I was talking to you, Tony and Sunita, I was talking to you because I know you kids are young, right on. But that's worship. How you behave when you walk in the hallways, when you sit at, at study hall, when you, when, you, when you go to lunch, that's worship. 
If you're a school teacher and you're teaching in the schools, guess what? The way you interact with teachers and the way you interact with students, guess what? That's worship, right? If you go to the market and you interact with folks, if you're getting gas and you interact with folks, all of that is worship. I love this. this is a quote by Rick Warren, and I really enjoy this. Rick says this, work becomes worship. Work becomes worship when you get dedicated to God and then you perform it with the awareness of his presence. Somebody say, ouch. Amen to that. Right? Thank you, brother. Like, that's our worship. When we go to school, when, when we're at the market, when we're in our neighborhood, when we interact with our neighbors, that's all worship. That's all worship. It's a reverential attitude, for sure. It is daily behavior. Worship is that, for sure. Here's the third one. Worship is a correct perspective. I know I had to work a little to get the C in there, but it's a correct perspective. It's a correct perspective. Now, here's the deal. In verses 1 through 7, Solomon all talk, it talks all about worship. It's all about worship, 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 worship. 1 through 7, it's all talking about worship. So 7 is the last verse of that idea. And here's how he ends that idea. Talk is cheap, like daydreamers and, other, and useless activities. Here's the last, last words on that idea. Fear God. And said, see, fearing God is a correct perspective. Fearing God is exalting him. It's understanding who God is. It's, giving, it's the perspective that says God is God. In fact, in that passage, I love it where it says this, because God's in heaven and you're here on earth. Did you all understand that? You ain't God. I'm not God. We're just the idiots down here. God is God. And he says that. We need to have a correct perspective. We do too much of this. Oh, you know, the big guy upstairs, you know, my bro. I'm like, you mean the awesome God of heaven? Because I lost it in the translation there, right? Prophet Isaiah had a beautiful perspective of who God is. And in chapter six of, the, of Isaiah's book, right, he's having a dream, he's having a revelation, and he has a vision of heaven, and he sees God on the throne like he really is. And then he sees these holy angels, and they're all around him. And the angels cry out, and they say this, holy, 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 that's the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The number one written about attribute of God, in particular in the Old Testament, is the holiness of God, that he is set apart, that he cannot tolerate sin. Now, the culture likes to talk about this whenever they're trying to soften some up. Well, you know, Neil, God is love. God is love. God is love. Somebody, God is love. Somebody say amen. amen. Yes, of course God is love. But that's an incomplete picture. God is holy and he cannot tolerate sin. That's the beauty of how we're saved by, by grace, by what we don't believe through faith in Christ. But the beautiful thing about Isaiah here is once he gets an image of the holiness of God, it necessarily affects your view of yourself. Because two verses later, then Isaiah says this. Then I said, oh, snap, it is all over. And I'm doomed. Why? Because I'm a sinful man. He sees himself in the light of a holy God. I have filthy lips. And I live among a people with filthy lips. See, that's a, a, a correct perspective of who God is. See, that's worship too. Worship is you and I having a correct perspective. Remember, I said this, that this is the number one thing I think that's ailing the church today. It's the number one reason I think that millennials are so disenfranchised with church. I think because they see the way we live. Because they see our attitude or lack of it. They see our behavior or lack of it. Right. They understand. They see, well, we don't have this reverent perspective and they pick up on that. They got it. Now, I think it's, it, it's impossible to talk about this without talking about this, because I think this is really 
ailing the church today is consumerism. We're bred as consumers because we live in this country. It's a great country. I love being here. Don't have any problem with that. Uh, but this consumerism has totally taken over the church. It's totally taken over the church. And so we become consumers. What do consumers do? They consume. So I take something, I use it for a while, and then I discard it. So here's what I do. I go to that church for a while. I love the music, love the music. Ah, the music wasn't so great, so great anymore, so I go over to this church. Oh, I go to that church. I love the teaching, love the teaching. Teaching's not so great anymore. We, so now I go to this church because they got this program and this program. And we're just consumers. We go here for the music. We go there for the preaching. We go there for the whatever. Like, that's a consumer model. That's a consumer model. The church is nothing about you, and it's nothing about me. It's not nothing, but it's not first and foremost about us. That, that's not what it is. We get it all mixed up. We, here's what we confuse. We confuse our wants with our needs. Now, it's legitimate for you to say, but I don't like that kind of music, but that music isn't my first choice. That's not my first preference. And I go, gotcha. It's not always my first choice. I, I grew up again. I grew up with an organ. Sometimes it'd just be a piano. Right? People tell me, ah, oh, it's great, but those stupid guitars, those stupid drums. I'm like, y'all read in the Old Testament, they were beating drums. So have your opinions, have your choices. That's cool. Have your preference. That's cool. I like that. But we're not consumers. We're not, we're not patterned after a consumer model. That's not the church. God gets it all. In particular, when it comes to solid music, I've heard it best described like this. Uh, Daniel is a pastor that I know, and Daniel has three kids. And he said, all three of my kids come, and they tell me they love me. And they all have very different personalities. And they all tell me they love me in different ways and by doing different things. And he said, I get it all. They're my kids. I love them all. What this one does to tell me they love me, very different from this one, very different. I, I love it all. See, God's the same way. We're just his kids. God gets it all. We express love. We do it in different ways. God gets it all, right? In fact, I, I say this. This is what I call the 75% rule. If you like more than 75% of what's going on in your church, something's wrong. Because this church ain't about you. And it ain't about me. And people don't realize this. I sit in meetings and I don't get what I want. Right? And I just take it in stride. I go to the floor. I throw a hissy fit. It's all good. But there are times when I don't get what I want. It ain't about me. We're not consumers. We need to have a correct perspective, not only of who God is, but we need to have a correct perspective about worship itself and what worship is. Worship is you and I coming before a holy God and declaring his greatness. Now, let me give you just a picture. I just want you to visualize this. I want you to visualize real worship, the real church. This is Paul writing, and he's just talked about Jews and Gentiles and how now they're one. And he says, consequently, because you've joined together now, he says, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. You're fellow citizens with all God's people, and you're members of God's household. This is God's household. He goes on and he says, you're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. That's what's the cornerstone of our worship is Jesus. Then he goes on and he says, in Christ then, this whole place is joined together. In the building, he's talking about followers of Jesus. The followers of Jesus are all joined together and they rise to become a holy temple in the Lord. And then he finishes by saying, and in Christ, you too are being built together 
to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. See, that, that, that's what it is when we come here. That's what it is when we come to worship. It's Christ at the center. And so we've talked about worship this morning. I just want to re- recap this. It's a reverential attitude. What's our heart? Do we take time and get our hearts prepared? All right, it's daily behavior. Folks, when we leave here today, we're going out of here to worship. When you get up tomorrow, whatever you're going to do, we're going to worship. And then it's a correct perspective. Who is God? Who am I in relation to that? What really is worship? Right? I mean, I, I, I think Romans 1, Paul summarizes it. Paul says this, and I, and I love this. This, is, this just speaks right to me. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I'm pleading with you. I'm begging you, Paul says. I'm urging you. Give your bodies to God. Give yourself. Give yourself. Offer yourself up to God because of all he's done for you. Think about all that God's done for us. Now we can't help but just offer ourselves up, give ourselves to him in complete obedience. And he says, let them be a living, your bodies, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. And then he says this. See all of that? That's the way to worship him. This is truly the way we worship him. I'm just saying, get a vision for this. What if we got this worship thing right? What if we got worship right? What if we walked in here, man, and we just had this reverential attitude, like we got our hearts ready. We were prepared to worship God in spirit and in truth so that when we walked out of here, our daily behavior said we worship the living God. What if we got that right? What if we totally nailed it when we went to work, when we went to school? What if we totally nailed it when we were interacting with our neighbor? Like, what if we were worshiping like that? What if we got it right? What if our perspective of God was so bang on and we understood who he was and we had this reverent fear of him and it impacted the way we lived so that we, we, we just reflected him everywhere we went? What if we got that right? What if we do that? How is that going to impact the world? See, your local community, our collective community. Again, I just say this. The early church, man, first century, they didn't have some church growth plan. They didn't have some strategy. Here's what people did. They surrendered their life to Jesus. They were transformed by the Holy Spirit. They lived radically different lives. And people went, what are you all doing? Oh, we've encountered this Jesus. Why don't you come with us? That was their strategy. What if we get it right? Because when we get it right, we will change the world to the glory of God. Right? Let me give you guys the big so what for today because we like to have a takeaway. Worship isn't a lyric. It's a lifestyle. It's so much more than a lyric. It's so much more than your favorite song. That's all cool. That's all great. Spend some time in worship. Listen to music. Stand and sing music. But it's not limited to that. It is our lifestyle. It is everything. Right? So I'm going to give you a big now what, and I want you to think about this just for a second. This week, I will worship God by blank. I'm going to give you a second to think about that. I want you to fill in the blank right now. This week, I will worship God by... How are you going to worship God this week? When you go to school, when you're in the hallways, when you're in the cafeteria, is it after school? Is it a practice? Right? 
Is it, is it when you get up in the morning and you take the garbage out and there's your neighbor and you always see each other and you're going to interact with them? Is that how you're going to worship this week? Are you going to worship uh, when you go to work and your, your behavior toward other people? And maybe it's somebody that you just really have a hard time with. Is that going to be your worship this week? Is it when you get home? Is it how you interact with your kids when they get home from school? Is it how you interact with your spouse? This week, I will worship God by you fill in the blank. And I've just made this note, music is not included. Yes, I believe music is, wor- is worship. Yes, I think sometimes, I know some of you like to get up and you go to YouTube or whatever it is, or you play a favorite piece of music, that, for, for sure. But I'm saying in this blank this week, I want you to put something in here that is practical and actionable. Let's be worshipers. Let's be worshipers. Let's worship God when it's difficult. Let's worship God when it's not convenient. Right? I'm just telling you, if we get a hold of this and we begin to live lives of worship, I'm telling you, that stuff changes the world to the glory of God. So this morning, here's how I'd like to end. I'd like us to stand and worship. We're going to worship now, and then we're going to worship, we're going to prepare ourselves to go out there and worship. And so I just want to give you a moment. I just want to give you a moment of silence. And I want you to worship right where you're standing with a reverential attitude, and I want you to worship as God leads you. God, let us be worshipers. Let us be worshipers. Let us exalt your name. Let us lift up your name. Let us declare the greatness of who you are in our words, in our thoughts, in our behaviors. God, would you receive worship? Holy Spirit, we're going to need help. We're going to need your help. Would you empower us this week, Holy Spirit, to live as worshipers of the one true God? Grant us that, we pray.